We're in chapter 8. We're going to look at another vision. But there is a dramatic shift that happens that is, you're not aware of in your English translation. Okay? And the dramatic shift that happens is, is this section of the book, chapters 8 through 12, is written in Hebrew. Okay? Remember I told you that Daniel is interesting because it's written in two languages. Chapter 1 is written in Hebrew, but then chapters 2 through 7 are written in Aramaic, which was the basically the common language spoken among the different people groups in the Mediterranean, uh, in the, in the, basically in the Middle East at that point. It was basically a trade language. Um, and so... Which, you know, for instance, like if you go to Africa, how many of you have ever heard that there's an African language called Swahili? You sometimes, okay. Swahili is a trade language, okay? It's, it doesn't belong to any one particular tribe, but it's a trade language that was developed by the Arab traders hundreds of years ago to be able to trade between the various tribes there in Africa, in East Africa and so forth. And so this Aramaic is similar, okay? It's kind of the language that's the common language among all of the people groups in the area. So that section was written in Aramaic, and it's, it's interesting because that section pertains a lot to what happens with the Gentiles. Now we come to chapter 8, and it reverts back to Hebrew. And I think it's significant because what we're going to study from this point on, from chapter 8 through chapter 12, really the focus is going to shift back to God's people. Now, let me just remind you again, when we talk about Daniel, who is God's people in Daniel's mind? The Jews, the nation Israel, okay, the Israelites. And so we need to, we need to keep that in perspective because the reality is, is he's talking about what's going to happen here to Israel, okay? What's going to happen here to Israel. So uh, this section of the book is written in Hebrew. So let's look, first of all, the timing. Look at the first verse there. In the third year of the reign of Bel- King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me, Daniel, and after the one that appeared to me the first time. All right, so let me just kind of point out to you, first of all, Daniel had a dream in the third year of Belshazzar's reign, which would be 551 B.C. So this is when Daniel had his dream, in in, in the year 551 B.C. Now let me just stop for a moment. Who's King Belshazzar? Let's remind ourselves, who's King Belshazzar? What, What kingdom does he belong to? Anybody know? He's the grandson of King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon. Yes. Did you say that, Nancy? Okay, I didn't hear you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm losing it here. Okay. Uh, Babylon. So this is a Babylonian kingdom. So I want you to be aware of that as we get into this dream. Okay? Be aware of that because this is happening while he's in the Babylonian kingdom. Now, Daniel points out that this dream occurred two years after his first dream. So remember, we looked at the first dream the last time we got together, the the four creatures, the four, four different beasts that came out of the sea. This dream now occurs a couple years after that, okay? 
a couple of years after that. So let's look at what the dream is that Daniel had this time. Look with me at verse 2. We're going to look at 2 through 14. I saw in the vision, and it so happened while I was looking, I was in Sushan, the citadel, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in the vision that I was by the river Ulai. I lifted up my eyes and saw there, standing beside the river, was a ram that had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, and southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any who could deliver from his hand, but did according to his will and was great. And I was considering, as I was considering, suddenly a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between its eyes. Then he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing beside the river, and ran at him with furious power. I saw him confronting the ram, and he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke the, his two horns. There was no power in the ram to, to withstand him. But he cast him to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver, him, deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore the male goat grew very great, and when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and in place of it four notable ones came up, towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came a little horn, which grew exceedingly great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the glorious land. And it grew up to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and some of the stars to the ground and trampled them. He even exalted himself as high as the prince of hosts. And by him the daily sacrifices were taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. But, the trans, but of the transgression, an army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices, and he cast truth down to the ground, and he did all of this and prospered. Okay, quite an interesting vision here, so let's talk about it. First of all, the location. He's going to tell us where he had this dream, or where he was in the dream, I should say that. He's in, he's in Babylon... But think about where, where he's dreaming about. In his dream, Daniel finds himself in a palace in the royal Persian city of Susa. All right, so understand something. This dream is happening a few years before the Babylonians are defeated by the Persians. Okay? So this, is, this would be interesting to Daniel, that he's dreaming about being in this royal city of the Persian Empire. Okay? Because he's in Babylon, and he's actually dreaming about being beside some Persian river up in the province of Elam in Persia. Okay? Wouldn't that kind of be interesting to you? Like if you, you know, all you know is, is Clearfield County, and you're dreaming about being on the beach in Ventura, California? You know, that'd be kind of weird, wouldn't it? You know what I'm saying? Like you're having a dream about what's there, all right? That's what's going on here, 
Okay. Maybe that's where we'd like to be right now this time of year, right? Okay. All right. Now let's look. Let's go on. The ram. The first thing he sees in his dream is the ram. All right. Wait, yeah. In his dream, Daniel was standing by the river Uli. So just want to let you know that. So let's talk about the ram. The ram had two high horns, of which one was higher as it came up last. So, okay, he's, he sees this ram, and like most rams that you know, the other have two horns, but one horn was higher than the other. Okay, so he sees two high horns, but one's higher than the other. The ram, the ram dominated everything to the north, to the south, and the west. Okay, so this ram has got a pretty big territory. It's dominating everything to the north, the south, and the west. Okay? Now, in his dream, he's, that's all that's mentioned about this ram. But in this dream, he sees a goat. Okay, so Daniel saw a goat come from the west with one notable horn. So he sees out of the west this goat come with fury, fast, out of the west with one notable horn. The goat attacks the ram with furious power. Okay, the goat attacks the ram with furious power. That's what we're seeing in this dream. And the goat destroys the ram. So he destroys the ram. The goat grew very great, but the large horn was broken. So Daniel, in his dream, he sees that this goat destroys the ram. He becomes very great, but the large horn is broken. In its place, four horns emerged from the large horn. So in its place of this one big horn that broke off, four horns emerge from the large horn. Now let me just stop for a moment. When we get into the interpretation of what we're going to look at here with these ram and this goat, and the one horn breaks off, and there's four horns that come in its place and everything, um, a lot of skeptics will say that this could not have been written around the time of Daniel because the accuracy of the prophecy being fulfilled. It had to be written afterward. Okay, But if we know God and his sovereignty and that he is in control of all things, we can understand, yeah, God can tell us what the future holds, right? Okay, And what we're going to see is, is this prophecy will be fulfilled We've seen it fulfilled in history, and it's a pretty precise prophecy. So let's go on. From the four horns emerged a little horn in the south near Israel. Okay, so notice in your text it says the glorious land. Anybody? That is a reference to what? Israel. Okay? So this horn emerges in the south near Israel. Okay? Now, the other thing that I want you to see is, and again, this horn defeats the people of God and trampled on them. This horn 
defeats the people of God and tramples on them. Okay? This horn defeats the people of God and tramples on them. Now, again, who's the people of God here? Yeah, the Jews. Okay, in Daniel's mind, the people of God are the Jews. He's not thinking about righteous Gentiles. You and I would be considered, what, as Christians, righteous Gentiles. He's not thinking about us. He's thinking about, in his mind, from his perspective, read it from his perspective, he's thinking about the Jews. Okay, so this horn, obviously this horn must be a king, defeats the people of God and tramples on them. Okay, now here's what he does. Verse 11 This little horn exalted himself above God. This little horn exalted himself above God. Now, let me just stop for a moment. When we get into, I want to remind you of a of a principle here, because as we stop here, we, we can say to ourselves, "Well, this obviously is referring to who?" Well, no, no, it's a little horn that defeats the people of God. Antichrist, okay. When we get into interpretation, yes, but it also has a closer fulfillment. So remember what I told you, when we look at the issue of prophecy, there's a principle that you need to understand, and that is when you interpret prophecy, you need to understand that there is always a near fulfillment and a what? A far fulfillment. There's often a dual fulfillment with prophecies. So what you're going to see is, is that when we talk about the little horn, he's going to emerge several times in the rest of the chapters of the book of Daniel. It's going to refer to Antichrist, but it's also going to refer to another king, which we know of as, as Antiochus Epiphanes, the fourth. Okay? Antiochus Epiphanes. And what we're going to see is, is that there's a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment. Now, some of you are like, huh? Well, when you look at the language, especially when we look from, in a moment, we're going to look at what the dream says about this little horn. Some of it can be fulfilled in who? A man. And some of it we're going to see here, obviously, is fulfilled by somebody who's empowered by who? Satan. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you're going to see that there's a dual thing going on here. And this is why some people have a hard time with the book of Daniel, believing that this is written about something in the future. Because they, like for instance, there's a group of folks called the Preterists, that believes that they believe Jesus has already showed up, who believe that the book of Daniel refers to everything that happened in the second century before Jesus came. All right? And the reason why is is because they look at this and they say, well, this has already been fulfilled with Antiochus Epiphanes. But when you look at everything he's going to talk about here, especially as we get further into the book of Daniel, you're going to see that not everything has been fulfilled. There's still things yet to come. And then when you look at the book of Revelation, which is after this time, it's still talking about who? An Antichrist whose description is very similar, almost exactly similar to the one that's described here in Daniel. Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's written like three centuries afterwards. 
So you're going to see a near fulfillment and a far fulfillment, okay? That's where, where people get messed up, okay? That's where people get hung up, and so I want you to see that. So what we see here with this guy, this little horn, he exalts himself above God. Now, the interesting thing here is this. The little horn caused the daily sacrifices to end in the temple. This little horn caused the daily sacrifices to end in the temple. Let's stop for a moment. Antiochus Epiphanes did this. If we look at history, he stopped the sacrifices. He was so repulsed by the Jewish monotheism, he stopped the sacrifice. How did he do that? He sacrificed a pig on the altar. Now, to a Jew, is that, do they like pork? No, it's an abomination to them. Okay? And he set up a, a monument to himself or whatever. But we also know that in the future, we see this even in the book of Revelation, that the, that the Antichrist is going to what? Trample Jerusalem under and exalt himself above God, stop the daily sacrifices, right? So again, we see a near what? And far fulfillment, okay? Near and far fulfillment. Let's go on. Look with me now at verses 13 through 14. We're going to look at how long this is going to take place. Look at what it says there. Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said that certain one to that certain one who was speaking, How long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, For two thousand three hundred days, then the sanctuary will be cleansed. Okay, so let's talk about it here. Now, what we're going to see here is, again, Daniel in his dream, he sees angels. And the first angel asks, how long will the dominance of the temple and God's people take place? This is what the angel is asking. Obviously, Daniel would be thinking this himself. How long is this going to take place? How long is the dominance of God's people and the temple going to take place? All right? And here's what it says, the length of time. The length will be 2,300 evening mornings. The length will be 2,300 evening mornings. What in the world is an evening morning, George? What is that? That's not anywhere. In, I mean, how many of you reckon time on how many evening mornings you got? Do you do that? No, nobody does that. What are we talking about here? Well, this refers to the evening and morning sacrifices. Jews, devout Jews, in their sacrifice at the temple would make an evening and morning sacrifice. They would make an evening and morning sacrifice. Now, let's stop for a moment. Remember, go all the way to Genesis. How is the day referred to 
in Genesis, from the very beginning of creation. Evening and a morning is a day. All right, so let me just stop for a moment. When somebody says, oh, well, you know, in Genesis it must be a day is a thousand years, blah, 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 talking about evolution. Well, yeah, that's cool. You can maybe say that, but the problem is, is the text tells you how long the day is. In Genesis it tells you an evening and a morning. Now, how, long, how many of you have ever had an evening that lasted longer then its usual time was a thousand years. I mean, it maybe felt like a thousand years if things weren't going great, but it doesn't, okay? So the reality is, is that we're talking about here days, 2,300 days, okay? Now, here's what we see it is. 2,300 days equals three years and 70 days. Now, that's based on a 360-day year. Yeah, but George, our years are 365 days. Yes, that's because we live by the Julian calendar. Okay? You guys know that? We exist by the Julian calendar. All right? Jews do not live by the, Jew, the uh, Julian calendar. The Jewish calendar is based on lunar months. Okay? And it is a lunar calendar, and so therefore they only have 360 days in their calendar. In fact, if you go over to Israel today, you will see that their calendar is, you know, their dates are completely different than ours. Why? Because the Jews, once again, still have what? A lunar calendar by which they keep time and so forth. I mean, actually, obviously, to function in the global world, they've got to have both, but they have both, but they go by the religious calendar, which is their Jewish calendar, 360 days, and then, of course, by our, um, uh, what we call the Julian calendar. So they, there's, based on that, it equals to three years and 70 days, okay? Three years and 70 days. So that's what we're going to Look at next week, okay? Look at next week. Because next week we'll look at the interpretation. We've got a lot to look at there, okay?